Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Well, welcome to our garden in Eastern Carolina in the early part of, I don't know if we can call it the fall, but it's uh, mid-September and it is the first really, really, really nice day. It's no humidity. The sun is out. It's about to set in a couple hours. And um, I wanted to cover a couple of things, but it's just a splendid day to be outside. It really is. Here's our garden. We've had certain successes and certain failures, and I'll get to that later. What I wanted to talk about today was, you know, there's kind of a controversy within uric acid. Uric acid is this buzzword. It's obviously connected with gout, very much connected with the gout. And I wanted to simplify it so it didn't have to be all diagrammatic and molecular biochemistry and everything else. Um, there are some basic things that cause it that you really need to know about it because if you know what causes it, you can avoid these things. So let me start from the top. You need to know about what your uric acid levels are. And you can do that in a couple of ways. You can do that by simply going to a lab and getting a lab test called uric acid. Pretty straightforward. And if you want to do it that way, there's a link on the description of this video that I get nothing out of through um, the Labs, which works with Quest. And you can find out what it costs and go to the one nearest you and it's probably going to be 10 or 20 bucks someplace in there. So that's one way you can do it. Another way you can do it by meters. And I think meters are good because you're doing it at home and you're doing it as frequently as you want to do it, but it's just like a glucometer like diabetics use for their blood sugar. And so you can do it once a day exactly at the same time. So you have day after day after day continuing, you know, comparing to each other. And that's what labs are about. That's why you always go for a fasting lab for the most part for most labs. So they're comparable labs. Um, but the reason the meter I think is better is because you get to learn about yourself, not just what is my uric acid when I'm fasting relative to glucose, relative to cholesterol, relative to ketones, all those are good. But what happens when you're fasting? Like we're in a three-day fast right now and we're, gonna, we're, we're documenting that for a future video. What about after a meal? You need to know how uric acid, the level is, changes in your life. You really do. Once you know this, it's usable information for the rest of your life. Okay, so that's the how. Now you take this thing, if you find that you have elevated out of range, for a woman that's over six is the number, milligrams or deciliter, and a man that's seven. All right, so if you're above that, they call it hyperuricemia, elevated, uh, elevated uric acid. That doesn't mean it's a problem, 
but it could be a problem. And if you're one that actually does have gout, that it really does have your big toe or your knee or your wrist or something else, then you need to take this a little more seriously. If nothing bothers you, then this is just sheer curiosity. Be curious about this because in five or 10 or 15 years, it's gonna be something you're gonna come back to. But there's, it's all right. So now you know the, the how, and now you have this thing, uric acid, you're gonna measure. And now, how do we get here? What's the problem with uric acid? Well, uric acid is obviously connected with gout, but when you go higher than the gout levels, which are the sixes and sevens and so on, where crystals start to form in your joints, you get into things that are what they call comorbidities, associated conditions. Associating conditions like obesity, diabetes, dementia, Alzheimer's even back that way, uh, cardiovascular disease, and then of course, cerebrovascular, which simply means blood vessels in your brain, ends up being a big deal. And even you can go into osteoporosis, but it's not so black and white there. A little more complicated, so we can't sort of say, hey, it's directly associated with osteoporosis. Therefore, pay attention. Pay attention anyway. All right, so now we got that, and it comes down to, here's the controversy, here's the argument that I get on a lot of the comments that come in the videos, is like, you know, it, your, uh, gout has been documented for, what, 5,000 years? Back in Egypt. All right, so what do we have back in Egypt that we still have here? Because it's still the same condition. We have alcohol, we have purines, which are basically concentrated meat products or flesh, it could be types of seafood, and I've done a number of videos on that, so I'm not going to go into what purines are, but they're the breakdown products of DNA and RNA and so on and so forth. A lot of proteins. Okay, so we had that 5,000 years ago. We have that now. Henry VIII had it. Leonardo da Vinci had it. Um, Lawrence Olivier had it. Thomas Jefferson had it. It goes, Benjamin Franklin, of course, had it. So what did they have? They had the alcohol, they had the purines because they could afford it. It was an affluent thing to have. But what else did they have? They probably had a lot of sugar, maybe. Sugar wasn't so much in vogue in Egypt, so that's iffy on that scenario. But the story now is, wait a minute. Elevated uric acid is all about fructose. Fructose, meaning eating fruit. Fructose isn't fruit, but it's not always about just eating fruit. Fructose comes is part of sugar. It's 50% of sugar. Fructose and glucose together make sucrose, and that's sugar. Wherever you get it, that's what sugar is. All right, so fructose has always been part of sugar. Sugar has certainly been part of gout, certainly back to Henry VIII and before that, Hippocrates, when sugar was fashionable and affordable and available. But what about people that don't have sugar? They really don't have much in the way of fruits. They're people like me. I'm not a fructose kind of guy, and that's not a story for me. But it is a story for most people because when you look at labs, which we'll do in future videos, and I've done in past videos, when it gets to the point that it's, you have diabetic or obesity, people have elevated glucose now. So elevated glucose, which means elevated insulin, what happens is that drives the glucose to be converted to fructose. So now you got a, an artificially, if you will, endogenously made fructose, and the liver has to deal with that. The liver has to break down the glucose. It was first a good thing, oh, about, um, I think it was nearly 14 million years ago, right? We were all there, weren't we? But that's when we got the mutation that allowed us to eat more things. We started to be able to eat fruit back then. And so fructose 
wasn't a, a toxin. We could make it, we could detox the fructose and turn it into glucose, which, which is, was the fuel for our body, still is the fuel for our body. But um, what has happened in that is that when people now have a little fructose from either they're eating fruit, which is really not that much for most fruits, and there's exceptions, of course, and they're bringing in, they have sugar in their diet, processed foods a lot. They now have a lot of fructose, fructose that comes in directly and fructose that the body is trying to get down the glucose. And they get to a point that the insulin, which gets down the glucose, isn't working anymore. So they call that hyperinsulinemia or glucose uh, intolerance, glucose, uh, glucose, sorry. Well, it is um, insulin resistance. And so things aren't working. So now the glucose still has to be gotten rid of. It gets converted into fructose. Converted into fructose. So now you got this fructose source and you have the fructose that we're eating. And when you have that combination, that cranks up your uric acid. And guess what? Uric acid now fast forward the conversion of glucose to fructose. So now that whole fructose story or hyperinsulinemia or hyper, it would be hyperglucose, but it will be eventually when you lose control of the insulin, the insulin can't control the glucose anymore. That is a story. But there's a lot of people that I talk to that are call them carnivores or ketovores. They're primarily meat, flesh eating people, right? Like myself, we obviously have a garden, so it's mostly spices and so on, but it's mostly meat that we eat, meat, fish, chicken, poultry, whatever else we can get our hands on kind of thing. Okay, so fructose is not part of that story. We don't have sugar in our diet, nor have we had it probably for a decade or so. So that had nothing to do with me and people like me, and I've actually had elevated uric acid. Hmm. So why is that? Well, you have to look at the big categories. One category clearly is about purines. It's about having a lot. So when I voluntarily went into a diet went into a diet that had more purines, that that was something I had to be careful about. What are the other things? Alcohol is another thing. So my point of this sort of talk is that there's some big obvious things you need to address. Purines, fructose, if that's your particular kind of lifestyle. Uh, alcohol, for sure. Some people are more sensitive to it than others. I've covered that in other videos. But those are the big top three. So what do you do about it? What are things that you can do that are kind of make common sense and have kind of existed, call it for a million years? That would be your fish oils to make sure you have a really good omega-3 to 6 ratio, right? So that would be ideally 1 to 1 to 2 to 1. That's 3 to 6. And you can get a lab test for that too and the same thing. And a lot of people have. Okay, what else can you do? You can do vitamin C. Vitamin C encourages the excretion, if you will, of uric acid. So that's a good thing. Vitamin C has always been around. Huh. It's about fruit, by the way, too, isn't it? So when you start there, and then that's kind of the basis of it. Certain special things you have to look, look for that are a problem, potentially, are what they call the alcohol sugars. Alcohol sugars, sorbitol. There's actually a pathway in the body called the sorbitol pathway or called the polyol pathway. Who cares? But the problem is, it's that pathway that takes glucose and sends it off to fructose. And guess what? There's certain parts of the body that can only do a couple steps and then stops. 
it stops at sorbitol and sorbitol gets to be bigger and bigger and bigger. That happens in your lens and your retina, happens in your kidney, it happens in your nerve cells, your Schwann cells. So that's a problem. That's, that's why diabetics get nerve problems. They get diabetic retinopathy. They get uh, diabetic nephritis. Those are the reasons they're pushing that pathway too much. So to summarize, start with the, identify what your levels are, get to know that. Look at the big things in your life. Don't get too esoteric. So is it the alcohol? Is it the purines? Is it the fructose and processed foods and the sucrose? Those are your top three. When you back down from there, things like xylitol, which is a um, sugar alcohol, and certainly sorbitol, sugar alcohol, um, those are things you need. If, you, if, if your levels are high and if this is a problem, address those. If it's not, lucky you, it's not a problem. Other things, if you have, if you're a liver lover like me, I love it. I can have too much. That's vitamin A. Too much vitamin A clearly is going to crank up my uric acid. So I wanted to give you sort of a, a conversational list of what to do and not make it so complicated. Measure it. Acknowledge what your lifestyle is in terms of diet. Then address those things and then measure again and let that take a couple months to change. Till next time. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcam again for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just wanna reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H.com. Goldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you cho choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of a, just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.